Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Amen, amen. Thank you, Addie, for that. I appreciate that. Enjoyed that immensely. Matthew chapter 26, if you turn your Bibles there this evening, Matthew chapter 26. While you're turning there, I just want to say to all of you, thank you for praying through my, for my father through his surgery that he had last week. Thank you for, for a couple weeks ago. Thank you for your prayers. It was definitely appreciated. And I want you to know that he is grateful for your concern for him. And just continue to pray that all would go well and that the healing process will happen quickly. But I want to thank you for that. Um, you don't have to stand this evening, but we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse number 36. Easter is upon us. And I must say that that's one of my favorite holidays, if not my most favorite holiday. Because it gives me an opportunity just to reflect even more so on what our Savior means to me. And means to us. Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse number 36, it says this Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, and he said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here. And watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And he saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them, and he went away, and he prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then cometh he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you. Thank you again, Father, for allowing us to be in your house this evening. I pray, Father, Lord, that you would use me this evening, Father, in spite of me. Empty me of self. Fill me with your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be a blessing to your people. Help me, Father, to be able to give them something that they could chew on, Lord, that they could mull over this week, Father, as we celebrate your resurrection this upcoming Sunday, Lord. I pray now, Lord, that everything that takes place 
throughout the remainder of this evening and throughout this week and next weekend, Lord, we'll bring honor and glory to your name. We love you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Crunch time. If you're a sports fan, particularly you are familiar with that term. It was invented in New Zealand in 1984 as a combination of two phrases, showtime, and when it comes to crunch time in business, crunch time is the period of time immediately before a project is due. Typically it occurs between the next to the last scheduled event that is to take place before a product is ready to go to market and the final due date. And crunch time is not usual for a corporation to require its employees to put in 12 plus hours, days, seven days a week until the product is ready to go to market. In basketball, crunch time applies to the last few minutes of play in the fourth quarter. It refers especially to the last minute of the game when the score is either tied or very close and one shot can win or lose the game. We saw a lot of that here in, in this March Madness. A lot of different upsets happen. Crunch time. For the Son of God, it's now crunch time. Thursday night, close to midnight, it is a week that has been full of last things. The last visit to the temple, the last sermon, the last supper. Now with three of his inner circle, the last prayer, he will pray before he goes to the cross. For Jesus, crunch time will take place not in the gym, but in a garden. Not behind a desk, but behind a tree. Not sitting in a comfortable chair, but kneeling on a cold, hard ground. When Jesus entered the garden, he knew he would be arrested there. He knew it was the beginning of the end. When John described the arrival of the soldiers to arrest Jesus, he tells us in John 18, 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Jesus knew it was crunch time. He knew that this was the entire life he had all come down to. You need to listen carefully and look closely this evening, because if you're a follower of Christ, or if you ever decide to follow Christ, you too will have to go to your own Gethsemane. In fact, that explains why Jesus invited three of his disciples to go with him. Gethsemane was a very familiar place to disciples. They had been there several times before, and even Judas knew where Jesus would be that night. John 18, 2 tells us that Jesus often met with his disciples at the garden. Jesus invited his inner circle of three disciples, Peter, James, and John to accompany him, and he did it for a reason. He wanted them and us to learn how to handle crunch time. See, crunch time occurs when I'm faced with a situation where I have to make a moral choice, and I have to decide, am I going to do what God wants or what I want? Two young adults go out on a date. They have to decide, are they going to maintain their sexual purity or indulge their selfish pleasures? Is it crunch time? A husband and wife are going through some difficult times in their marriage, and they're just going to get divorce or keep their promise to God and stay together and work the problem out. It is crunch time. What are we going to learn in the Garden of Gethsemane tonight is this. Key takeaway. The benefits of doing the will of God are always greater than the cost. As we look at Jesus, here's what we learn. Number one, if you're taking notes this evening, crunch time involves seeking the will of God. Crunch time involves seeking the will of God. And a few times we see Jesus praying in the gospel. Only one time do we ever see him praying the same things more than once. We find it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at verse 39 with me, if you will. We read, and he went a little farther and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh, father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Look at verse number 42. He went away again the second time and prayed saying, oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, 
except I drink it, thy will be done. Look at verse number 44. And he left them and he went away again and he prayed the third time saying the same words. In this most anguished, difficult prayer that Jesus ever prayed, one thing was on his mind and one thing was on his heart. And that was the will of God. Apart from the will of God, there would have been no garden of Gethsemane. People who have no concern for the will of God and are only interested in doing that what they want never had to go to the garden of Gethsemane. See, the one thing that had brought Jesus to this grove full of olive trees on this darkest night of all nights in the history of mankind was the will of God. Doing the Father's will had been the supreme concern of Jesus all of his life. When he was just 12 years old, he said to his parents in Luke 2, 49, And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? Very early in his ministry, he said, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He later said in John 6, 38, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. See, the will of God was not something that the God the Father forced on God the Son. It was something that the God the Son was always seeking from God the Father. In fact, Jesus said in John 5, verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not, but really the entire Bible is a story of two gardens. See, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. What one man did in the garden, he ruined us, but another man did in another garden, he rescued us. See, in the first garden, a man named Adam decided to seek his own will. Rather than doing what he knew God wanted him to do, he did what he wanted to do. Because of that, we now have the four major problems in the world today. Sin, sickness, sorrow, and death. See, the ultimate reason why there is cancer, murder, divorce, adultery, homosexuality, terrorism, greed, and jealousy is because one man looked at God and said, not thy will, but mine be done. When Jesus came to the garden, he said, not my will, but thine be done. See, just like Jesus, we were put here on the earth to seek the will of God. Every day of our life of a follower of Christ is all about seeking, finding, and doing the will of God on that day. But that is where the problem begins. Number two, write this down. Crunch time includes the struggling with the will of God. If you've been at the garden that night, you could have easily picked Jesus out from the other three disciples. He had been on the ground. He would have been the one in the garment, literally soaked in sweat. He would have been the one agonizing, crying out to God. He would have been the one whose hair was plastered to his forehead, wet, not just with drops of sweat, but with drops of blood. See, as Jesus walked from the upper room across the Kindred Valley up to the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane, as he looked back over his shoulder to see the lights of Jerusalem twinkling in the dark, he could see what the disciples couldn't see. He knew just out the, outside the city the greatest battle in the history of the world would be fought and won, and the war would be over. He also knew he was facing something no one else could face, who has ever faced or ever will face, the, the taking of the sins of the world all the time on himself. He knows that all hell is literal, about to break loose. He knows what he is supposed to do, but he knows what he doesn't want to do. And those two are exactly the same. Have you ever been there? See, we all have. This is a struggle of cosmic proportion. Talk about being all stressed out. You haven't seen stress until you see Jesus in the garden. He was not just all stressed out. He was eternally stressed out. In fact, the stress was so great 
that he almost died there in the garden before he ever got to the cross. So Matthew puts it this way in verse 38 of Matthew 26. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. There is no greater agony, no greater grief, no greater suffering than that which takes you basically to the brink of dying. See, the stress was so great and the struggle was so real that a doctor named Luke recorded it this way. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it was great drops of blood falling down on the ground. See, doctors describe that, this, that the condition is very rare but very serious. What happens is the emotional distress becomes so great that a calories beneath the skin can literally burst, and you can actually start spilling blood from your sweat glands. His heart rate was off the charts. His blood pressure was out the roof. Why was he feeling such agony? Let me assure you, it was not because he was afraid of dying. There were a lot of men that day that went to the cross and never flinched. See, Jesus himself said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, it wasn't death that Jesus feared, because he had to die. What he feared was not death, but a cup. Look at verse number 39, and he went a little further. And he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. What was this cup that Jesus did not want to drink from? This cup represented the wrath of God that he would pour out on his son and the punishment for his sins of the world. All Jesus Christ had ever known for all eternity was perfect, complete, total, whole, intimate fellowship with his heavenly father. Now he was facing not the love of God, but the judgment of God, the wrath of God, the punishment of God for sins he did not even commit. See, you know the Bible ends with a garden? According to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, and a new heaven and a new earth, there's going to be a garden there, and the tree of life is going to be there. And by the way, I'd like to tell you something. Satan crept his way, and he tempted man into sin. And then in the last garden, I can assure you, there will be no devil. There will be, the devil will be locked up. He'll be thrown in the lake of fire for eternal doom. The only people in the garden are going to be the redeemed. Those of us that are saved, that know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And if you're in that garden, rest assured, you will live in the peace and the tranquility of that garden forever and ever and ever. But I want to tell you that in the first garden, there's a devil that plummets the world into sin. But in the last garden, there's a Jesus. No devil and all those that rejoice with him. But there is no last garden between the first garden unless there's a middle garden. That's Gethsemane. Because the first garden, the first Adam blows it, blows it up. And in the second garden, the second Adam saves the day. So here he goes to this garden and he's going to endure, engage, embrace what I call the Gethsemane moment. It's a moment unlike the Godhead has ever experienced. Jesus is going to step into the garden and make for us a declaration to his father that in so many words that says in, I'm in. And there's that phrase in the middle of the garden that I want to preach on this evening. Here it is. And he went a little farther. And he went a little farther. Now let's just downplay that word, by the way. I thought about that this week. And he went a little further. As I was traveling back from Bob Jones this week, I thought about that phrase, and he went a little further. And he went a little further, and then I began to think, if we're Christians, sometimes we have difficult days, 
and we have hard days, and we want to quit, and we want to give up. But you got to go a little bit further. You got to go a little bit further. And I started to think about that. Like, what was he doing? What was the big deal in this passage of Scripture in Matthew 26 that he went a little further? What do you mean further? I think I'm safe without adding to Scripture to add a few expressions to farther that would qualify the content. What do you mean he went a little further? He went a little further than everybody else went. He went a little bit further than what was normal to go. He went a little further than what was average to do. He went a little further than what was easy to do. He could have gone where everybody else went. He could have done what everybody else did. He could have stopped where everybody else stopped. But he, my Jesus, went a little further. It was a moment that he had to face, and he could not face that moment without going a little further. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking while I'm preaching, because while I'm in the Christian life, we face some moments that are kind of like crossroads. Moments, there are moments that we have to step into. That means it's going to require a greater level of commitment, a more serious reality in our mind. We're going to have to understand that there are God in our moments that are moments that are personal. There are moments that are individual. There are moments that are intimate. There are moments that I can't share with my wife. I can't share with my children. I can't share with my church family. There are individual, personal Christian moments where I have to come to grips that I agree with God. I'm in tune with God. I'm committed to God. And I'm on this. It's a Gethsemane moment. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot make it without going a little further. Now, I wanted you to think about it. Evaluate your Christian life because I can't do it for you. Evaluate your prayer life. Evaluate your witnessing. Evaluate your giving. Evaluate your daily devotion with God. Evaluate your soul winning. Evaluate your forgiveness. Evaluate your external relationships. Evaluate your commitment. And maybe God is saying it's time in your life where you're going to have to put your feet down and decide that I'm not staying where it's easy. I'm not living where it's convenient. I'm not dwelling where I have been before. I'm not going to swim around the area that I'm used to. It's time in my Christian life that God and I are going to have to agree on a major decision on my life, changing moments. And there is no way I can do this unless I pick up my feet that God gave me and by grace go a little further. See, I, I want to deal with that subject in context, how Jesus did it. Because if we're going to go further, there are some things that we're going to have to do like he did. If you're going to go a little further, you're going to have to go with what I call a suspect accompaniment. He began to explain to, to them that I'm going to leave and one of you is a devil. And he dismisses the one that is the devil. And all of a sudden from that crowd now, and men and one of the surfaces and steps forward and says to Jesus in the presence of all of them, Lord, oh, I'll go with you all the way to death. All the way to death. I mean, I'm not going to be like everybody else. I'm going to do something nobody else will do. Everybody gets offended because of you, not me. I'm going with you all the way to death. This is what I call the loud proclaimer. If you're taking notes, write that down. The loud proclaimer. Here's what Peter was saying. For everybody to hear, oh God, I'll go with you all the way. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He's just a loud proclaimer. And guess what? In your life as Christians, you're going to have people that are loud proclaiming. They'll go with you all the way. Here's the thing. They meant it, but they're not going to live it out. See, that's what Peter is. He's a loud proclaimer. Oh yeah, I'm going with you all the way, Jesus. He said, before the cock crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, he did. But you couldn't tell Peter a thing. 
How many of you got people today that aren't even involved in your life? At one time, they said, I'll go all the way. See, that's a loud proclaimer. And then you got loyal performers, Peter, James, and John. All three of them. The rest of the disciples, he takes them with him on the journey, but they don't go into the garden. <laughs> These three, why? They were special. Three on the Mount of Transfiguration, those three were there. At Jairus' house, those three were there. They went to scenes that only God could perform. Those three were there. And now at Jesus' critical moment, Jesus, who he takes those three that are there, tarry ye here and watch and pray. But yet, with the loudest proclaimer, there in the Lord performance, there at this moment, when he went a little further, none of them were there. Why? Because loud proclaimers and loyal performers still have going for them a limited perception. Here it is. They're with you. They're supporting you. They got your back. But there's an element of you and God that's going on right now that they can't quite grasp. See, now hear, hear me now. You may not like the way this sounds, but if you're going to go a little further with God, some of your best friends and even your own family members are going to watch you move forward and not have a clue what's going on. Listen, they're not Judas. They're not those that left you at the feeding of the 5,000. They're not your enemies. They're not the Pharisees. Uh, look, they're not the skeptics. They're not the scoffers. They're just people that have wrapped their head around all they can possibly understand. See, please understand that what Jesus was facing at Gethsemane, there was only one person in the garden that knew what he was going through, and that was Jesus. Let me tell you something. You step into some areas of your Christian life that sometimes you fall on your knees and nobody that is there supports you understands what you're praying about, what you're burdened about, what's on your heart. See, God has given you a calling and a burden and a drive, and you, and you try to explain it, and people say, why are you crying like that? Why are you committed like that? Why are you standing like that? Why are you serious about that? Listen, don't even disdain them. They have understood all that they can. You're going to have to leave them on the bench and go forward. You know, when God begins to work in your heart, he doesn't always explain it to everybody. He doesn't tell everybody what's going on. When I get up in the morning and I start thinking about... Uh, what I'm going to be preaching, and when I'm going to be preaching, and how I'm going to be preaching, the truth, when I step in and I want to mount the pulpit, nobody understands that. Unless you're a preacher. Because you have all this pressure. You have all this on your shoulders because you have people that are listening to the sound of your voice. And you want to make sure that they grasp onto it. And nobody understands but you and God. So what do you do? I don't want to go down that road because nobody else in the building understands me. No, no. You go to that spot where the one person does understand you. And you fall down on your knees. And you say, I got to go into the pulpit today with no backup. Because if I mess up, there ain't nobody got my back. Nobody says, hey, take this Gatorade and I'm going to jump in for you. See, I got to be ready. I got to be prepared. I got to be geared up. Why? It's a Gethsemane moment between God and me. Now, that's not just a pastoral thing. That's an everybody thing. Listen to me, young man. Listen to me, older man. Your wife does not understand the burden of being a husband. Listen to me, ma'am. 
Your husband doesn't understand the burden of being a wife. Don't get mad about him not understanding. He's not you, and you're not him. Get with God and figure it out. That's what a Gethsemane is. I don't know why he doesn't understand me, because he's not a woman. And if he was, I don't think he would have married her. Listen to me now. You have to understand something. God doesn't expect you to feel everything about everybody and understand everything about everybody. Jesus didn't come back and condemn them. You notice that. Now, he was disappointed in them, but he understood, I'm stepping into an arena. I'm stepping into an infrastructure that Peter, James, and John, these fellas have been human. They never understood what it is to leave heaven, to come to earth, to take on flesh as God himself. They don't understand what it is going to be like for me and my father to be separated, but I am the only one that can do this. Could I tell you something? That when you step into Gethsemane moment and you go a little further with God, God is trying to introduce you to something he wants you to do that nobody else can do but you. And those close to you that will never grasp. And here's the point. Even though it's always best to do the will of God, it's not always easy to do the will of God. See, there's a cost to do God's will. There's a price to be paid. If you're going to do the will of God in your life, Jesus knows what it is. Like when you're in that situation where you're struggling to do what you know God wants you to do when it's not what you want to do. See, he knows what it's like to be torn between two desires. He knows what it's like to beg God to change his mind about something and to hear God say, no, listen, if it's always easy to do God's will, everybody would do God's will. See, nobody would ever sin. The problem it is, it's not, this is so important to hear, it is the private struggle you face at that moment when you are in the Garden of Gethsemane, alone with God, that the battle was won or lost. See, you must think that the battle for your salvation was won at the cross, but it wasn't. It was won in the Garden. If Jesus had said, not your will, but mine be done, we wouldn't be here today. See, Jesus made up his mind in the Garden that he would rather go to hell for us than to go to heaven without us. See, the war was won at the cross, but the battle was fought in the garden. If you would make up your mind in private what the no's of your life are and what the yeses of your life are, then you can face anything that happens to you in public. See, that's what it is. It's getting in that Gethsemane moment and getting alone with God and getting by yourself and talking to God and letting God talk to you and not being stuck in what everybody else thinks what everybody else wants, what everybody else needs. See, sometimes it's just got to be you and God, and you got to ask God, what do I need? See, we have all those pressures of life, you know, mothers worrying about their kids, wives worrying about their husbands, husbands worrying about having to go to work, having to take care of this, having to pay all these bills, all these pressures of life, and we forget that Gethsemane moment, where the only person and the only one that knows our struggles can help us. And if we can do that in private, it's so much easier to face the problems in public. I'll warn you, it's going to be a struggle. The great Christian, Augustine, tells us of the turning point of, in his own life. He had been having an adulterous relationship with a woman but he knew it was outside the will of God. He was sitting on a bench under a fig tree, his Bible open and tears falling on the pages, and he heard a voice that was calling from a nearby home saying, pick it up, pick it up. That person was not even talking to Augustine. 
the person was talking to someone else, but that voice motivated Augustine to pick up his Bible and read it. And he read these words. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantiness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Romans 13, 13 and 14. At that moment, he said in his own garden of Gethsemane, he said, from now on, not my will, but yours will be done. He said goodbye to that woman forever and gave the rest of his life to Christ. See, the reason why the garden is even in the Bible to teach us that even though the struggle to do what is right against the temptation to do what is wrong is real, because of the example of Christ and the power of God, we can win that struggle, but it takes learning the third principle. Number three, crunch time invites surrendering to the will of God. Crunch time invites surrendering to the will of God. Jesus prays a prayer three times. He prayed out loud for a purpose. Many times Jesus would pray because he knew other people would be listening. Jesus knew the disciples would hear his prayer. But Jesus knew one day that he would hear this prayer. He wanted us to hear it so that we would also pray it. When you find yourself in a situation where you're struggling with God's will, even to the point when you ask God to maybe change his will, when Jesus prayed, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as thou will. See, the prayer of all prayers is when you say what Jesus finally said in verse 42. Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. I want you to notice how Jesus addressed his prayer. It is in the Garden of Gethsemane where he encountered the only place in all the scripture where Jesus ever addressed God in prayer as my Father. Mark tells us that he said, Abba, Father. See, the word Abba is Aramaic for equivalent of Daddy or Papa. Why is this so important? See, Jesus' prayer was all above things, a prayer of surrender. He was coming to God as a child comes to a father. He was saying, in effect, Father, you always know what is best. You always do what is right. You never make mistakes. So not what I will, but what you will. Let your will be done. Understand there's nothing wrong with the struggle. Struggling with the will of God is natural. But here's what you need to remember. It's the price of an action defies God's will. The cost will always be too high. See, Jesus could have said no in the Garden of Gethsemane. He would have avoided the cost of the crucifixion, of the separation, of isolation, of experiencing the full wrath of a holy God against the sins of the world. The price he would have paid is losing the entire human race to a devil who hates us and a hell who awaits us. See, the benefit of following God's will was not only the approval of his heavenly Father, but a multitude of people that no man can number that will love him, praise him, glorify him, and serve him forever. Anyone in business knows that before you enter into a business deal, you need to do a cost-benefit analyst. I want you to remember the benefits of doing the will of God always outweighs the cost of not doing the will of God. I want to close with this this evening. One of the most famous missionaries in history was a man named David Livingston. David Livingston felt a call to Africa over 120 years ago. At that time, there were basically no Christians in Africa at all. He left behind a comfortable life in England and went to Africa. No long after going there, a huge lion leaped upon him and clamped his teeth on his shoulder and crushed his arm. He was never able to raise it again. Because of that, he was taken back to the coast and was nursed to health in a hospital where he met his wife, Mary. The years passed. They had five children, and for a while, they were happy. While crossing one of the vast plains of Africa, one of their children died, so they concluded it would be safer for his wife and children if they went back to her native home in Scotland. 
For five years, Livingston did not see the face of his wife and children because the work in Africa was so great. He went home to see his wife and children only to discover that his mother and father had both died while he was in Africa. He spent a little time with his family, but he kept thinking about those thousands and thousands of villages in Africa who had never heard the gospel. He went back to Africa, more years passed, and he finally got a letter saying that Mary was coming to join him because now the children were now old enough where she could leave them. For months, she traveled across the ocean and African rivers until finally she saw her husband. She had barely arrived when she was struck down by an African fever. Dr. Livingston tried to save her, but he finally wound up burying her under a huge African bulb tree. He stayed there for the rest of his life, which did not last very long. Finally, he died from, from the multiple diseases that you could only imagine one would suffer in Africa. 100 plus years ago, that man paid an unbelievable cost for doing the will of God. What about the benefits? 25 years after he first went to Africa, there were 10 million Christians. Today, there are over 300 million. Every day of your life, you will face a crunch time, whether it's being honest in a business deal, keeping your virginity, holding a marriage together, or telling the stockholders the truth. Just remember, the benefits of doing the will of God are always greater than the cost. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you. Thank you for your word this evening. Thank you, Father, and how you are such a great God, Father. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son many years ago, Lord, to, to save us from our sins, Father. Thank you, Father, for his surrender to your will. I pray now, Lord, that as we move into the Easter holiday, Father, that we too will not only do it on Easter, Father, but for the rest of our lives, Father, surrender our will over to you. We love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I have one question for you. Are you willing to go a little farther? Did this message do anything for you? Is it going to take effect? I don't know about you, but if you think that this world is getting any better, it's, it's not. It's crunch time for believers. And it's a matter that we continue to surrender to God's will on a daily basis. As the piano begins to play, would you stand with me? And, and I invite you to come to the altar if you'd like to pray. The altar's open. If you'd like to stay at the pew, you can pray there as well. But there's something about coming to a, an altar and making a decision and just having some time with the Lord. Go a little farther than your, than your pew, if I may. Take that step out. No need to hold on to the pew. And you can come forward and, and pray and, and see God's face. I'm so thankful for the decisions have made at the altar but I don't want those to be the, the last decisions and that be it I want to go a little farther you want to go a little farther as a church open Bible it's wonderful that we have a, a pastor he's going to be coming and we look forward to that day but you know what he needs he needs a church that's willing to go a little farther he needs some members he needs some people in the pew that are willing to say I'm going to I'm going to not just hand, hand out a track I'm going to literally use my mouth and share the gospel I'm going to do something. I'm not going to be a performer, proclaimer. I'm going to do something with my life. See God's will. Are you willing to go a little farther? Are you content with just the state and condition you're in? Well, then you'll probably just stay in the same condition, same state you're in. That doesn't do much good for you or anyone else. 
Let's go a little further. Let's go a little further. God help us. Well, I want to go a little further. reasons that God has allowed us to continue to stay on this earth and to know Christ as our Savior is so that we will take and go a little further, sharing the gospel, being a true Christian. It's more than just saying we're Christian. It really is living it. Boy, it's something God wants, a difference. My will or thine be done. Dear God, I pray you help us put ourselves completely aside. May we be completely dead to ourselves. And Lord, we must tell you this and ask for this throughout the day, daily. A death take place over and over again. Lord, I thank you that the cross truly shows us how you sacrificed it all. And Lord, how you want us to be what you desire in our lives to follow your will, just like you followed the will of your Father. Thank you that you were willing to do that. But Lord, I pray that we'll thank you, not just in word, but in action. Give us boldness to proclaim the gospel. May we not be ashamed of you, Christ. May we be willing to go further in our walk with you, our walk with our relationships that we have. Lord, we're going to be given opportunity this week to seek you and to find you. And Lord, if we knock, the door's going to be open. And Lord, I pray that we will find ourselves doing your will. Work on our heart, I pray. Continue to allow us to see the need that we literally are in crunch time. As believers, may we be surrendered, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you do this with me? Would you? Um, you can sit there just for, you can sit down for just a second here and we'll dismiss you. We have a few minutes here. I want to um, make the best use of, of just a few of these minutes, and that would be in prayer. I believe we have t- two main things to pray for. One is, uh, Pastor Yunizzi, today was a, a hard day for him. And you can just think about that a little bit, and you can imagine how that would be um, at his church where he's been to say goodbye. And then, uh, you know, we get to, to say welcome, but uh, he's saying goodbye today. So I'd like to pray for him as well Will we pray for Mike Holmes and uh, the, the homeless family. Tomorrow morning, you know, he goes into surgery, and it, uh, we need to pray for him. And I know many of you have committed to do that and have been, and will continue to, and I would encourage you to do that even tomorrow morning. You're, you'll be awake. You'll be headed to work, or you'll be thinking about your day. Would you think about the homes, and as he will be getting surgery and, and the doctors working on him, would you think about that if you would? And then also pray for the Easter weekend, if you would, coming up. Thank you for many of you that have helped with that. And we're so grateful for that. Can we do this? Can we close out with a word of prayer and pray for those three things? Can we, the Easter, Pastor Yanizzi and his wife Donna, as well as Mike and Debbie Holmes. Okay, let's do that. Lord God, I thank you that we can pray to collectively as a body of Christ. And I pray right now as I pray publicly out loud that we as believers are praying privately in our seat. And Lord, just talking to you and speaking to you. Thank you for access to the throne of God. And Lord, one of the reasons you've given us access is to pray for others. 
And on their behalf, we come to you, and I thank you that you are at work, not just in our church, but at work in other places. And we think of today, Lord, Pastor Ms. Donna Yanizzi, and I pray that you would just help their church people. And Lord, uh, the tears that have been shed, the emotions that have been had, Lord, I pray that uh, your grace will be poured out, and Lord, that it will be very, very evident, your working and what's being done. And Lord, I thank you that you have worked this out according to your will. And Lord, I think about how we just heard the importance of the will of God. I pray that you'll help us to be what we need to be. And Lord, as a church, and Lord, I think of even one of ours here at the church, Mike Holmes. And Lord, we thank you for the man that he is and the faithfulness that he has been to this ministry and Lord, to even young people. Lord, the third and fourth graders this morning were without a teacher because Mike and Debbie Holmes are normally their teacher. And Lord, I thank you that they have been so faithful in this way and many other ways. Lord, this is one of our friends, and this is someone that, that is cared about. But Lord, not more than you care about him. I thank you that we can cast all our care upon you, for you care for us, dear God. I thank you that you'll care for him tomorrow morning. We're asking you to help with the doctors and nurses and people that will minister to his needs that this aneurysm would be cared for, and Lord, that the procedure would go smoothly. Be with Debbie's thoughts, and, and Lord, even the concern that she has, rightfully so, as the wife that she's been to, to him, and Lord, just right by his side. Thank you for her faithfulness and love for her husband. Lord, I pray as we go into this coming weekend that souls will be saved, and Lord, that people will see the importance of other believers here because of our witness to them and Lord be a testimony for your sake this weekend not just to be friendly although that's great but Lord to show the greatest friend we have is Jesus Christ so may we portray you well may we live for you in a way that you are pleased we'll thank you and praise you give us a safe trip as we go home or go our separate ways Help us to be faithful, be found following your will as we heard once again this evening. Thank you for the word of God, the way that you used for the Raji to open it up and share it with us tonight. May it not return void in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.